Yo, what's good, family? This is your boy, Jay Floyd, a.k.a. Big Bro. Yo, check it out. I'm usually in the family room, but today I had to move to a separate room because uh, my, my guest is a renaissance man. You know what I mean? My man is, a, is, is many things, but uh, you'll see why I had to stand in front of this art piece to start introducing this show, right? So again, I want to thank everybody, man. I love y'all. Thank y'all for joining me again for another episode. Shout out to my, my sponsors, man. Shout out to um, Greenwood Dist. I'm always talking about them, man. They're, they're positive pro-black apparel, including the t-shirts with the dope pro-black messages, man. Say it with your chest. Y'all saw me rocking the uh, red, black, and green uh, rose with the fist coming out the concrete, man. Dopeness. Uh, also, shout out to uh, Custom Sneakers, man, Knee Gas Sneakers. They're also, um, I rock my red, black, and greens. I'm still waiting on my shipment of my white and red ones, man, the Uneas. These joints are so dope, man. They look a lot like the Air Max, but they're quality, black-owned. Everybody always says we need to start supporting our community, start putting more things out. This is a good place, man. I was just watching, recently I was watching the Drake, the new Drake video, man. Um, laugh now, cry later, man. And number one, I love Drake, man. It was a dope video. But my man shot that whole video at the Nike, uh, at the Nike headquarters. At the Nike headquarters, right? And my thing is this, man. Out of all these cats, man, all this money Drake got, all these, like, how come nobody fully supports a, uh, a black-owned or independent, um, sneaker company, man? Apparel company. So, you know, if they won't do it, I will. So, Again, go check out Greenwood this for the shirts. Check out uh, Nigga's footwear. And also, man, one of my favorite ones, man, that is a sponsor of this show, and that's Urban Intellectuals, man. You can go get, go check them out, and you'll see that they got, they have Black History flashcards, man. Black History, some of these cards is like, wow, I didn't even, I need these flashcards, much less my children. You know what I'm saying? But the best thing I like about them is it educates people about what black history is because black history is all of our history. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to be black to get these cars. In fact, everybody should go get them because that's where we really need to, that's how we can really affect change. That's how we can help the next generation. Let's normalize learning black history and learning real deep black history, you know? And with that being said, I want, I want to introduce uh, this show I will be... Uh, interviewing uh somebody who is 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 black history man rafael xavier who also known as the zav man i peeped these this dude out when he uh i peeped out this this new video new video he has out called do the math man my man is spitting the beats dope the visuals is dope he even had the dope beard going on uh but then when i finally reached out to get to know who this dude is um this dude is a a not only an MC, he is also an artist. My man does art like this, and even better, abstract art. My man um, is a comedian. My man is a uh, dance instructor, choreographer, uh, a teacher of movement. He has been a fellow at ballet institutes. I was like, man, you talking about Renaissance, man? I gotta chop it up with this dude. Because this is what I want to normalize. This is one of the reasons why this show exists. Because I want to normalize us being our own saviors. Us being our own. We are who we've been waiting for. God gives us a lot of gifts, man. God has put a number of gifts and we got to give them all back. So with that, you know, matter of fact, 
Check out this dude spitting, man. Check this out real quick. I got the keys to the rover, your Toyota's booted I'm hyperbolic, how symbolic that your rap's a rental Speechless on a bitten track, call it instrumental Here's experimental, nothing is accidental Everything I've done is certainly and purposely Definitely meant to be the best that it's supposed to be Making the mockery, mediocrity's blocking me Psychologically, debauchery is comedy Introduce me properly, I tell them You sloppily propel them topically to sell them Box them in the vellum, shipping them platinum I purchase the wax and wrap in the plastic and laugh at the craft They should do the math Do the, do the, do the, do the, do the math being said i know that was fire with that being said check out my interview with the man rafael xavier it's jay floyd big bro one all right all right so welcome again to another episode of the big bro podcast y'all thank you for joining me and as i stated in the opening man the brother i have with me today man this dude is multifaceted my man Raphael Xavier, how you doing today, bro? I'm good, Robin Hood. Thanks for having me, man. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, I got I got hip to you, man. My man Ion Anomaly, aka Vince Ballantyne, posted he posted up, you know, asking for new music. People were shouting out, hey, listen to this, listen to that. And you posted your video, man. And I was like, dude, I wanted to, you know, I'm an MC. So, and I still I have an album coming out now, you know. Dude. One of the big things I'm always talking to my audience and the people I mentor about, man, the world needs to know what a 40-year-old man is talking about. Mm. The world needs to know what a 50-year-old man is talking mm-hmm. about. The mm-hmm. society and culture that we have right now kind of only wants to hear what an 18-year-old is talking about, right? And that's no shade to that. Right. But... We are valid in all of our ages. I, I, I don't even use the word age. I call them levels. We reach in different levels. Yeah, yeah. I'm at level 40. I'm at level 44, man. That's that, To me, as a black man, I'm a superhero. To make it to 44, man, that's something. Yeah, agreed. So when I saw you, I was like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I got to have this dude on the show. Right on. Well, I appreciate it, man. I feel you. And I feel you. I feel you. Every word. Every word. Yeah, so one of the things I... I I want to touch on this. Um, you are. I want to kind of. I'm going to give an intro. In a, a kind of intro I already gave of who you are. I mean, there's a ton of information out there about the things you do, man. MC. Um, let me make sure I get this word right, right? Because, and I know you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> as you listed, as an inmacographer. Yeah. Right for innovation, movement, conceptualism. For one thing, I think that's dope, man. But listen to this, professional breaker, dancer, rapper, music producer, comedian, photographer, author, multifaceted overall artist. It said that you are known for reinvigorating the B-boy community Hmm. in Philly. Hmm. Dude, (laughs) bruh, for one, let me give you a salute, man. Hats off to that. Thank you, man. Much appreciated. You know, the creator gives us a lot of gifts, man, and it looks like you are using every single one 
and giving back as it should be, man. Yeah. And like I said, I, I saw that video for Do The Math. The visuals was dope. For one, I got to give you, I, I got to be honest, I had a little beard envy. Right. I'm going to be, you know, I believe in 100% transparency, man. So yeah, I had a little beard envy. I'm working on mine right now. Let's get uh, it. I got some sponsors right now that's like, come on, grow it a little faster. But hey, we working on that. But hey, I give you also beer love, man. I salute that. Hey, hold, I'm sorry. Hold on one second, man. Hold on, hold on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, that was that was weird. I apologize. It literally sounded like somebody was trying to bust my door down, dude. Yo, I'm serious. It, it was the mailman. Coincidentally, he was throwing new. These are new records. These are the uh, the, the the new. Um, the promos that I just got. So That's what I'm talking yeah, about. They said and Monday, I'm gonna, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's all good. I'm not even gonna splice that out because I want people to see you getting your shipment of your records in, man. <laughs> Word. That's, Word. That's what the life is like, man. But no, how long how long you been you've been working on that, man? Uh first I didn't mean to cut you off. That just that whole thing threw me off because I didn't want no interruptions, man. Um so apologies, but I, I started growing this. Um, it was it was this part right here. This strip was on its own in 2012. What happened was um, my father was in the hospital and I'd never seen him without any hair on his face. He always he always kept crazy dude. And um, so he was dying and his hair was falling out. It's the first time I saw him without any hair on his face. Yeah. And so coincidentally, my hair was growing in. I could never grow a, a, a beard or nothing. And so I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll let it go for a little while. And so it was coming in kind of crazy. So people were making jokes about it. So I just cut this as a strip to, to be funny and see what happened. I started rolling it up. And then uh, it was down to like the top of maybe mid, mid chest, man. And I would curl it up in the, um, in the curl. And then 2000, 14, I think, 14 or, no, 2018, started letting everything grow. So I braided this, it broke it off, it shortened it up, but uh, it ended up growing in a weird thing, man. But, <laughs> yeah, it's got like know, a tissue to it. Yeah, like yeah, it worked. So, so I, I just, I keep it braided sometimes, and uh, other times I let it rock out like this, man. So overall, it's been, I uh, started it in 2012. That's dope, man. That's a unique look that stands out, man. Right on. And you know, like I said, speaking of unique looks, man, that, the video for Do The Math, uh, the visuals, man, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I saw the, the Justice for Breonna Taylor message in there. I saw the Black Lives Matter. You, you kept the, uh, the messaging in there. But there's a lot of bike culture in there. And I mean, like, real bikes, BMXs, and you know, I mean, cats is wheeling down the street on their bikes, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's dope. It, it was a good time, man. I, I, I got to give a shout out to my man, Robert Young, who um, I met years ago in California. He's a filmmaker, editor. Um, and I reached out to him recently. I was like, yo, I got an idea for a video. And he was like, you know, I ran it by him. He's like, yo, let's make it happen. So um, it was his idea to put those messages in. Like my, my whole thing was like, I'm gonna round up some cats on bikes, get some breakers and we just gonna make it happen. And yeah. when we were recording it, as we were recording it, he was just, he just had the, the, the videographer just shooting uh, 
the the I guess it was the vision that he had to make it a staple. Like this is Philadelphia. This is what it's representing. Um, this is a sign of the times. All that stuff, man, was was his idea, and I think it was right on time. I, I would never have put um, any political stuff, you know, Breonna Taylor or any any racist, anything that was happening at the time. I was not interested in being a part of. Honestly, I, I just try to ignore a lot of that stuff, man, for you know, very particular reasons. But for him, it was a it was a moment that. Uh, that was the right time to make a statement about now and who I am and what I'm doing. And and those are two things that I grew up doing, man, riding BMX bikes and braking, man. I, I, and I still do that today. I literally, when I was in, I told you I was in Jersey earlier, I was buying a new bike. <laughs> I, was getting, I was getting a new bike, man. Yeah, so, yeah, so know, that's the stuff I grew up with. And we're gonna be 80 years old doing, doing what we enjoy doing, man. So there's no need to feel old and, and, and out of whack or out of shape or out of sorts. It's just, we got to do us, dude. We, we can't, yeah. we're not going to be happy if we don't completely, you know, satisfy who we are as as artists and, and human beings. I love it, man. I love, now, is that is that a Philly thing to bite? I mean, because I know Philly's known for the motorcycles, man. Is, is Philly known for the BMXs too? Well, they are now, man. Um, And, you know, on, on a, on a, just to, uh, uh, I don't even know how to get it out. I don't even know what to say. There's so many things I want to say, but I'm originally from Wilmington, Delaware. So I moved to I moved to Philly in 1998, mm -hmm. and um, so there there is for Pennsylvania the bike culture was incredibly innovative. The reason Flatland and BMX bikes look the way they do now is because of the riders from York, Pennsylvania, who mm. coincidentally were also breakers. Everybody was a breaker at, at one point, <laughs> right? Um, so they are responsible for the way that the, the moves have evolved since the 80s. And the wheelie culture is uh, what you're referring to in the video. That probably began about 2000 and, ah, man, I wanna say 2012. And in the past couple of years, it just started to grow, um, you know, pretty pretty heavy. And that was, you know, SE Bikes designed these bikes to be for big kids and and us not big kids, but grown like big people. And um, and they just took off, man. This cat named D Blocks out of New York was online, and his his video his videos were uh, were going viral. He was just wheeling for days, man. And. <laughs> caught on and the world is the world is caught on so philly is definitely heavy right now yeah. i mean philly miami new york um california of course really heavy in this bike culture thing with se bikes man that's dope man you know every time i see that and i wrote about this in one of my books man one of the first things i remember about my childhood i was probably like eight years old and we finally moved out of the hood into a suburb and I remember walking outside, and this was the first time I ever saw people break dancing. And they had the cardboard, mm. the cardboard boxes, and they break dancing. And it was this dude named Aubrey. He had a Jerry curl, <laughs> probably carefree curl, but you know, and he had his bike, and he was wheeling down the entire street, but he wasn't holding the handlebars. He was holding like that that joint in the middle. Oh, what? Yeah, with one hand, he was wheeling down the street, and I was like. 
Like I could never like to me he instantly was the coolest person I oh, yeah. ever seen in oh, life. Yeah. Hands down. <laughs> and to this day, what is thirty some years later, I will never forget seeing that. Man. I feel you. <laughs> hey yo, and, and amazing feats like that happen to all of us, which is the yeah. reason why I'm still doing what I'm doing today because of moments like that. Yeah. That stuff scars you, man, in a good way. It does. It does. So I want so tell me about the you and you spoke about this, man. Being from Wilmington, Delaware. Mm-hmm. That's like for one, I think everybody in the country has heard of this city. <laughs> but I didn't know black people were there. Like I didn't know they have <laughs> Like, I, yeah. I've heard of it, I think, off of, like, infomercials when I was little, right, or something. I don't know, yeah. but I've heard of Wilmington, Delaware. Yeah. What, what what was it like being born there and raised there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. was that like, man? Uh, you know, man, I I, um, I have mixed, mixed feelings about Wilmington, man. Um, What's up, family? This is Jay Floyd, man, a.k.a. Big Bro. And thank you all for listening to the Big Bro Podcast, man. Listen, while you're here, I want to shout out the company that I've been doing some business with, man, Greenwood Dist. Man, Greenwood Dist is a apparel company, man. They specialize in graphic tees. Man, they they, they got um, some really bold pro-black messages on their t-shirts man and they fit right along with my brand because anybody who has seen me speak who has seen me in public who's seen me perform my music they know that i like to have bold statements man i like to say it with my chest you know what i'm saying Greenwood Dist is really dope, man. Not only are they black owned, but they're also named after the Greenwood District in Tulsa, Oklahoma, man. And y'all, which is the the, uh, the place where Black Wall Street once stood, man. So you know I'm all about knowing my history and talking about history and making sure that we know it and we're educated about it. So go and check out Greenwood Dist, man. Check out their shirts. You would love to rock those right now, man. This summer, this fall, rock those. And matter of fact, for for us listening, man, for anybody listening to this show, they said they will knock 10% off for you for a lifetime, man. If you use the promo code BIGBRO, B-I-G-B-R-O, man. So go and check them out right now, man. And right now, let's, let's get back to the show, man. I grew up in the suburbs most of my life. All of my life actually was in the suburbs. I would go to the city because my grandmother lived in the city. Both, both, both my grandparents on my mother's side and father's side lived in um, in Wilmington, and um, I went to school in Wilmington High, um, my junior high and elementary, and all those schools were in the suburbs. So, um, every it just seems like I. I was getting things very late because all the city kids were getting them first and then they were coming to the hood where, where their suburb cousins were hanging out at and giving it to them and that's how I saw it. Yeah. If I did see anything else, art-wise or culture-wise, it was me going to my grandparents' house in the city. But it's very mm-hmm. conservative, man. I, I felt like it was conservative. Um, there was some incredible artists that that, that, that were there and they, they come out of Wilmington, Delaware. Man, I was in fights every damn day uh, trying to find my, who I was as a, as a youth, um, being a part of as much as I could be a part of, experimenting with different um, 
you know, creative outlets. What was uh, that struggle like for you at the beginning? Like you, like you said, finding who you are. Yeah. A person like you who was able to ultimately find so many different things, right? Yeah. yeah. What was that initial strike? First of all, you know, you said you were raised in the suburbs. We're talking both parents? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no. Uh, I like to say this too. I'm supposed to be a statistic. I grew up with one parent um, uh, in, in the hood. My father wasn't around. You know, I was into the, in the street stuff. All that stuff makes you a statistic. You're supposed to be. I did. I was not supposed to turn out the way I did. But um, yeah, man, I was in the suburbs, dude. I was in the suburbs. And you know, the funny thing, everything I do now, I did when I was 12, 13 years old, was based on wait till you see what I can do. Or maybe, I, maybe you'll let me hang out with you now. Or, or ah. maybe this will get your attention. Right, because you know, I was, I was, I was a skinny kid. I didn't have a lot of friends, and I was trying to fit in. Mm -hmm. And man, you know how it is, man. Black people got cousins that live in the whole damn city, everywhere. And, you know, <laughs> for real, for real. And I was like, I ain't got that. Like, I, I don't know who that. Is. That's my cousin. I was like, cool, yo, I know this guy. Oh, that's my cousin. I'm like, damn, everybody's cousins. So I felt like I was, you know on the outside a lot, man. And uh, being good at, at whatever I did, you know, that's a problem, man. Even even as a kid, like, a, it always brings me, like, to this emotional space because certain things come up. Yeah. And when you're exceptional or you're good at something, it's cool for about the first five minutes. Then after that, people get jealous and you think you're better wow everybody else right so then you pull back so so to keep from getting pointed out fingered made fun of you only did enough to get by mm. and and my life has always been like that i only did enough to get by until someone talks shit and then i'm like watch this and they go oh my god i didn't know you cannot get yeah, no yeah so that's when the cockiness comes out yeah. But I've always been that, you know, really low-key dude, man. So everything has been driven by, watch this. And I could never turn it off. Interesting, man. You know, I, I have this theory that I'm always talking about. I actually did a whole episode on it called Social Currency. And I think that it plays a huge role, especially in the Black community, when we're coming of age, where everybody's trying to find some currency to spend. Like, what's my value? What's yeah. my worth? what makes people respect, look up to, fear, yeah. love, what makes people do any of those things for me? What do I have in my bag, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think for some people, like, you know, they might go to, oh, I can rap. Oh, man, now, now that I start rapping, I got a little social currency. I can, Let me spin that curve, you know what I mean? So, but I think the thing that you're talking about is a whole different level of, you got this currency, but now you might get robbed of it. You know what I mean? You somebody might come get you, so you got to be a little conservative about Yo, flashing say word. that. Say word. Yeah, indeed, yeah. man. Indeed, they will strip you down to to they nothing. Will. And and the worst part is, many of the things that I do as an adult, I'm not supposed to be doing because it's looked at as childish. I'm not supposed to be riding a 20 inch bicycle. I'm not supposed to be breaking. 
You know what I mean? I'm not, yeah. I'm supposed to have a regular job, raising the family with kids and do the stuff that grown people supposed to do. Yeah. So, so I owe it to myself and other people who, who kind of like dropped the ball when they were young based on those things that their friends or their peers would say about them or the environment dictates that you're supposed to be, right? And so they, they don't, they're not artists anymore because they dropped it. There was no support they, for what everyone else was, you know, you know what it is. You know what I'm saying, man. And, um, and so now I'm older and I do those things. Maybe it will inspire people to be like, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick that ball up again. I'm going to pick that, get back on that bike. You know what I mean? I'm going to get back in the dance studio, the recording studio again, you know? I'm really hoping so. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here because you're absolutely right. That is a huge thing, especially I think among black men, we tend to drop it, man. You know, like if we don't, if you do music and you don't get signed to a record deal at 17, yes. you're gonna drop it, you know what I mean? And you just cash that in. But, at, and what I've noticed is, especially among a lot of the people that I've spoken to or life coach, a lot of times, you know, those people have kids. Yeah. And then they start to live vicariously through their children. Yeah. Now it's like, well, let me just push them to play football or ride this BMW. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. but what mm -hmm. I always tell people, man, even if you have kids or grandkids, your life is not done. Yeah, right. It's right. still time for you to shine and they still right. need to see that. Part of raising our kids and grandkids is living life and letting them see what it looks like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think we got a model, and that's what I saw when I saw you. I was like, that's it, man. That's it. Because I I was like, man, why don't I got my BMX? <laughs> what, 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 <laughs> I was like, man, I used to Willie. What's up yes, with that? You know what I'm saying? And I know up. there's a lot of brothers out there that would feel like that. And so that's why I think like you know, we need to have more of these conversations and highlight more yeah. of each other. Yeah. So we can build off each other's strength, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Say word, man. Yeah. Say word. And, you know what? It might be interesting, man, if you kind of, if you feel like that, you round up some cats, man, and do like weekly bike rides. Like on Sunday and Thursday, a bunch of us get together, man. I think the youngest guy might be 35 and the oldest is 54. And we all get together and we ride out. We just riding last night, man. And it's man, a good time. You know, it's good people. We get something to eat, man. We bust it up. Um, and you know we share stories that that got us to the point that we we met um it's a really good time man it's a really good time there's one kid named eli who rides with us he's he just turned he turned 20 in april and you know we're almost like a lot of them are fathers but he has something to look up to to guide him in in a place when things get reckless in his life he can look yeah. at any one of us and go, wow, that guy's doing pretty well, or that's how he handled that. Or I have these guys looking at me, I need to step my game up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's it's a very um it's a very powerful group, man. And you might you might be interested in like starting up a ride out or something, man. Listen, man, that's that's one of the dopest ideas ever. I'm glad you said that, because I I really gotta start pondering on that one, man. I think I might do that. That's what's up. That's what's up. Now, now tell me, man, we, we talked about you growing up, man, and I, I just keep pulling up your, your, your bio here, man, and it's, I, like I told the audience at the beginning, man, this is way too long to go through, but man, listen. <laughs> All right, so, so when we're talking about these gifts coming out, you know, you held some of them in and you were kind of conservative with them. 
at what point do they start shining? Do you do you just let it out? And which one came first? Like, what did you know yourself as first? Oh man, uh, I was probably recognized as um, as a rapper first, um, but I didn't start rapping until '86. Um, before that, my first thing was a, I was a breaker in '83, and then a DJ after that. When that when that whole thing died down, like two years, it died down. I met this cat um, who's also a BMX rider, Charles Blake, and um, I was his DJ. And he was a rapper, so you know, at that time, everybody did everything. You did graffiti, yeah. DJ, rap, dance, right? Only in that two year span. I didn't know he was supposed to do everything. I only saw one thing, breaking, right? Everything yeah. else was just like, oh, I remember this. Let me play with this. Oh, I remember this too. Let me play with this and, and play, with, <laughs> play with that. Um, so, believe it or not, like I'm, I'm trying to put some things in order because as you said, it's a lot. Even for me, it's a lot. Um, in I had an idea as a rapper to do shows with breaking, mm -hmm. to tell stories, to create narratives. This was in the early 90s, but I had no idea how to do it. I didn't even know if it existed, if I could put it in a theater. If you know, as a rapper, you know that when you were trying to get in the ciphers, any cipher, any circle, you can, you'll do your thing and cats are doing this, right? And you yeah. think they're with you until they start going, yo, 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 which means get out of my way because I'm they trying to get some now. So at yeah. some point they shut off. Yeah. And they're only looking to get in, they're not listening. So I felt like I had a lot to say that wasn't that that wasn't getting heard in a circle. If I mm -hmm. get if I get in the theater and tell my story, you're not going anywhere. So in 98, I met a dude named um uh, Rennie Harris, who was part of Scanner Boys, a, a hip-hop group in Philly, he's doing a hip-hop version of Romeo and Juliet. So when he asked me to be part of that, I went to the audition, and, and he was like, yo, I heard a lot about you. Just get in where you fit in. And it was on stage during that show that it hit me. Like, this is it. This yeah. is exactly what I was trying to do or see, but I'd never seen it done. I didn't know how to do it. That was all I needed, man. And after that, I started putting my stuff together and uh, and putting everything on paper. And in 2002, in 2001, I got a grant to do a show at this theater and uh, theater practice space in West Philly called the Community Education Center. And in 2002, I did that show and it, it went really well. And from that point on, I started my own um, dance theater company as a place to tell my my stories. Man, so from rapping in the cypher, all of a sudden you are at the Brandywine School of Ballet. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that was on that was on some some freak stuff. So I I was doing um this Big Shout magazine was a local paper in Philly, and they gave me they gave me a task of interviewing and photographing average white band. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So I took what I thought was a nice write-up, great report, whatever, 
I took it to them and the woman was like, yo, this is a hot mess. Like we can't, we can't run this. This is like no good, blah, blah, blah. On my way out, this guy, I think his name is Greg Kirk. He was like, yo, there was a woman in here just looking for a hip hop teacher. Do you know anybody? Can you do it? Or do you know anybody who teaches hip hop? And I was like, yeah, I'll give her a call. I might be able to do it. And she was the woman from Brandywine School of Dance, uh, Monterey Frame, who, uh, who I called. And she was like, yeah, we need someone to teach us a hip hop routine, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know what I was doing then. But I put together a routine. I didn't know it was choreography. I just put together a routine. Yeah. She hired me to do that. And um, I had a relationship with her for years, man. And, and she would come, when I moved to Philly, she would bring her students up, take my class, and we remained friends for a long time, man. I want to touch on something that I think is real big in what you're saying. And it, I think it has come up twice so far. One, where you said you, you were rapping and you had this idea of a show where the dudes were breaking and you could tell a story but you didn't even know how to make that happen. Mm -mm. And then you, you get offered the, this this gig at the Brandywine School of Ballet to choreograph, and you don't even know what that actually meant, but mm -hmm. you did it, right? In both yeah. instances, you stepped in there yeah, without a framework or a blueprint to follow and copy. Yeah. You stepped in. So it had to come with a lot of fear, some anxiety, maybe even some imposter syndrome where you might be telling yourself, maybe I ain't the one, maybe I'm not good enough. <laughs> How do you find yourself still being able to st not just step in, but succeed at this stuff? Um, I'm not sure how to answer that, man. I just felt like, you know, it was all new at, at the time. And, and I was I was there exploring and experimenting. You know what I mean? And so wherever I ended up was, and I tell my students this, this is funny, wherever I, Wherever you end up is exactly where you're supposed to be. Just, just get to where you want to go. So you know by by uh, you know my man's uh, uh, rule, I'm gonna put you where I think you belong because you can handle it. Just yeah. Not what you need to figure out why you're there. But I'm gonna put you there. You'll be fine. Yeah. You know how they say if you're not supposed to. If, if, God only give you things that you can handle. If you can handle it, you would get it. So I, I was just put in positions where it was time for me to move on and didn't realize that. And I was learning, I was growing. I was down for anything, man. Let's make it happen, let's have fun. Some of it was like ignorance because I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and- Did you have fear doing the stuff? I did, because I was really? under pressure to create. And I think that's what, that's, what, that's what drives me, the pressure to do something. You can't do that, I already did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like, like that. That's not yeah. possible. What is that? Like, just hold yeah. it up. This is me holding up this thing that you just told me I can't make or do. Yeah. It's right here. I've I've just been I've always been like that, man. I've always that's been dope. like that. It's just what whatever was innately in me, genetically, or you know, through through um, history of African Americans. And the one thing I didn't bring up though, and I should have said this a long time ago. I think in the tradition of African-American artists, especially people like um, Gordon Parks and Ozzie Davis, Melvin Van Peebles, those guys were pioneers in ways that we would never understand today. They, uh, they, they broke rules, they, they made rules, they, they, they caused a change in Hollywood, they, they caused a rip and change in, in society in America and Europe internationally, and we don't give them enough credit for that. And I, I just feel like I'm, what I'm doing 
you know, it, it's not on that level, or, or but it's in the tradition and in the space of how they represented themselves as artists and human beings and African-Americans, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So so tell me this, and I love, I'm a huge Gordon Parks fan, by the way. Oh, yeah. But I, I know at the beginning you said you, it took you a while to realize that you're supposed to do all the things, right? You're supposed to rap, you're supposed <laughs> to DJ, you're supposed to break. Yeah. But it seems like once you figured it out, you did all the things, man. <laughs> Yo, they're all tied together, man. Believe it yeah. or not, it's all, it's not a, it's not a separate thing, man. I mean, communication is communication. And through each one of them is communication. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when you, when you're moving, you're physically using your body. That's telling a story with no words. If you're using vocally, you have to, you, this is happening, this is movement. This is, depending on how I structure this or choreograph this, this is now dance. Yeah. So I can speak and move and dance at the same time simultaneously. In the theater, my, my backdrop becomes whatever visuals I want to design or any way I, I want to design, it's all tied in. You know, musically, I create the music for the theater, I bring someone in and I design the whole soundscape. It's all relevant. And, and the theater is an empty canvas, a blank canvas for me to create whatever I want. And, and I found that to be the place where all the things that I've done or do fit. Yeah. Man, there's, there's just so much, man. So, so before we start to wrap up, I gotta, I gotta squeeze this part in, man. Comedian? <laughs> Comedian? That's some freak stuff too, man. How did, how did that come about, man? Yo, man, I mean, listening to you ask me these questions, it's, you know how they say when you're too close to something, you don't recognize it? Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I just do it, man. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just these things I just do, and, and it, it, it just it has become part of my life um, in an incredible way. Uh, in I'll try to make this short. So in, in 2007, I got a spine injury where my vertebrae was, I had an infection between C5, C6 disc space. Mm. Vertebrae was squeezing my spinal cord. I didn't know what it was, nobody knew what it was. And so in a matter of, once it happened in a matter of three weeks, I was supposed to be paralyzed. But I was moving through it like it was okay. Like, I'm fine, I'll get over it. I'm just trying to be tough, man. Just, yeah. it's okay, it's okay. And I slowly started to slow down until one day I was like, yo, I'm not supposed to be, something's wrong. Something's incredibly wrong. I was in pain like you wouldn't believe, man. I sneezed, I cried, cause it hurt my, I, it, it just hurt. I couldn't get up out of bed. Um, so, and ended up on lorazepam, oxycotton, uh, um, uh, oxycodone, mental dose, vancomycin, Bactrim, plugged into a drip bag twice a day for like three months. I was messed up, man. So I, I just dropped everything and moved to California. Mm -hmm. Supposed to be just like a week or something. It turned into five years. So the time that I went out there, I, I thought a lot about, it was 2007, the end of 2007, and I thought about I reflected on a lot of things that happened and I was blaming myself for all of it. And so I felt like for me to be vulnerable 
and be better in relationships and better in life, I needed to take the guard down, take off the cape and mask, you know, put the costume away, put the superhero costume away and just strip everything down to the regular human being. The only way you can do that is be in an uncomfortable position. Absolutely. On stage as a comic was, was that lesson. But the, the uh. thing was, it backfired. And that's another thing. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to write a joke. I didn't know what that meant. But I just thought, <laughs> I'll get on stage and embarrass myself. Maybe I need to be embarrassed. Yeah. And um, so I got, I, I got, I went to the Laugh Factory. I ran into this woman named Sunda Kroonquist. Um, and she had a class. So I went to her class to watch. And in, in LA, you, you know, you can order as many classes as you want. And she told me, she was like, yo, we got a guest in the class who's gonna come up and do his thing. I was like, no, I'm not. I don't have anything. I'm, I'm not gonna do it. She's like, yeah, just come on up and do it. Yo, I had nothing. It wasn't ready. Uh. So all I did was told the story that happened four days before. And they were in there on the floor, dude. <laughs> and she's like, yo, you need to be, you need to be on the Laugh Factory stage right now. I was like, nah, I can't do that. She's like, yes, you can, you're ready. Just do exactly what you just did here, there. And so I did that and I, I, I went to a bunch of open mics at, at Laugh Factory. I passed the open mics. Um, I was a headliner. I ended up being a headliner at Gilda's Club for opening acts. Um, uh, what else, man? I, I um, what's my man name? Um, ah, oh shit, the in, the Indian com comedian. Um, oh, I Indian think I know what you're talking man. about too. Russell Peters. Yeah, Russell Peters came to my house. He asked me to go to Vegas with him. Tony Camacho called me. He was like, "Yo, man, I hear what you're doing." Do the thing, just do it. If you're gonna do it, do it for real. Anyway, that's how I got into comedy, man. And I was doing fine until I came back to Philly. Now I'm a I'm gonna sound like an asshole for this, but when you when you are a comic in California, the game is at an ultimate high. Yeah. You have to be on top of your game. You have to be in a place where you got a job to do. You got to speed limit. You got to no. stay with the speed limit. Yeah. Exactly. I got to Philly, the shit slowed down. Yeah, yeah. I was signing up on open mics third and going on two, three hours later. I was like, yo, what is this? You guys are clowns, yo. Y'all sound like shit and you're holding these rooms and you suck. I just came from California. I'm doing this and I'm doing, like I was that kind of guy. Yeah. I even humbled myself enough to go to classes. Yeah. And I wasn't feeling good about it, man. And and I just, I felt like I let some comedy people down because they were behind me 100%. And I just- It sounds like comedy might've been a little bit of therapy for you. It even definitely though you, was. You succeeded in a lot of ways. Cause I mean, you was a comedian, comedian. Like you was for real in the game. <laughs> yeah. But it yeah. seems like now that you're back in Philly, a lot of your energy seems to have transferred into other areas, which might be the time to do those things, you know? Yeah. True indeed, man. Yeah. So let's, um, as a matter of fact, let's back it up a little bit, man. All right. Because I want to, um, I really want to know a little bit more about this, uh, this comedy life, man. <laughs> so <laughs> hey. you dropped some, some bombs with these names that you were interacting with, man. So what was that? And how many years are we talking about you being on the comedy circuit? 
Yo, man, I, I started writing in 2007. I kid you not. I, and just, it was just me messing around. And then I, I took this class in 2008. From the summer, fall of 98, What's up, family? This is Jay Floyd, man, a.k.a. Big Bro. And thank you all for listening to the Big Bro Podcast, man. Listen, while you're here, I want to shout out the company that I've been doing some business with, man, Greenwood Dist. Man, Greenwood Dist is a apparel company, man. They specialize in graphic tees, man. They, they, they got uh, some really bold pro-black messages on their t-shirts man and they fit right along with my brand because anybody who has seen me speak who has seen me in public who's seen me perform my music they know that i like to have bold statements man i like to say it with my chest you know what i'm saying Greenwood Dist is really dope, man. Not only are they black owned, but they're also named after the Greenwood District in Tulsa, Oklahoma, man. And y'all, which is the the, uh, the place where Black Wall Street once stood, man. So you know I'm all about knowing my history and talking about history and making sure that we know it and we're educated about it. So go and check out Greenwood Dist, man. Check out their shirts. You would love to rock those right now, man. This summer, this fall, rock those. And matter of fact, for for us listening, man, for anybody listening to this show, they said they will knock ten percent off for you for a lifetime, man. If you use the promo code Big Bro B I G B R O, man. So go and check them out right now, man. And right now, let's let's get back to the show, man. Until. I mean, I'm sorry, not 98, 2008, um, 2008 until 2011, I was, I was on it hard. I was on the comedy places in Philly, uh, a bunch of open mics at hotels, comedy store, um, uh, oh, I can't even remember them all, man, the, uh, Ice House, Ice Box, Laugh Factory. It's a handful of them that I was doing a circuit. Then I, I hooked up with some friends who were holding rooms and they would hook me up. So I was always practicing, man. Um, and I, when I did come to Philly, when I was visiting, I was at, uh, um, oh my God, why can't I remember the name of the fucking, the place on South Street, uh, Laugh House, Laugh House, I'm sorry. And, um, and Mr. Rod, um, I got on there one day and when I got done, dude was like, yo, man, how come I never heard of you before? I was like, you know, I just, I've been doing this maybe a couple years now. He's like, listen, man, if you ever come back to Philly, find me. You always got a, a, a place to perform. You always got some stage time. I was like, that's dope. His wife died, Miss Mona died. And um, and then things went downhill, man. And, and when I came back, the only comedy club in Philly that was happening was Helium. So I continued to go to Helium up until um, probably 2018. But I entered Philly is funny, Philly's Funniest. I, I made semifinals, fin- semifinals, I think, in, in Philly's, Philly's Funniest. And then after that, man, I, my road gig started picking up. So I, I was pretty heavy, man, from 2008 until 2017, 18. Mm. Wow. I know a few dudes that get into the comedy thing, man, and I understand how difficult that is. Number one, to formulate who you are, right? Yeah. Before you even deal with the road and the industry, figuring out who you are and how do you 
make people laugh, right? Yeah. That's just, that's, that's deep, man. So I love the fact that, again, you just, and it seems to be a running theme in going through your life story that you took something you had no earlier preparation on, you had no blueprint, and you jumped into it and started using the gifts that you naturally had. You know, yeah. regardless of some fears you might have had or, you know, anxieties to step on stage, you went and started getting into it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things for a lot of our generation and younger, that's what we just have to do, man. We can't keep bottling ourselves up. Right. You know, right. we can't be right. like, oh man, I used to rap. People are only gonna know me as the rapper. No, people are gonna know you for everything that you are gifted at. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I like that, man. And the photography thing too. So so how did the photography come in? Oh man, that that's uh I need to make a book or something, man. Uh, I think you do, man. <laughs> yo, let me tell you, let me tell you a story. And you you might not want to use this or not, but I gotta tell you, all these stories, I will preface this by saying. I think the reason, to answer your question, I think the reason that I do these things without any hesitation is because I pay attention to my environment. Hmm. And I can, I don't want to say imitate, but I'm aware of what it takes to do something and not be afraid. Hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Fear will get you killed. Hesitation will get you killed. Right? If you're unsure, you will hurt yourself. Yeah. You got to go in it like you know it. Even if you don't, you got to act like you 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 know it. Dude, right? I always tell people, man, you got to do it scared. Yeah, yeah. Rolling, man, you know? oh, listen, all you need to do is one time and the fear's gone. And the crazy part about fear, like people who let fear hold us back, they don't realize everybody else in there is scared too. Yeah. You know, like you're not exactly. the only one in there scared. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so when I when I was in the, I was always taking camera pictures with cameras. My family's camera, um, you know, little one ten cameras with the flash bulb that looked like an ice cube on it. Um, <laughs> Some box cameras. Yo, right? Polaroids. Like I, I just was fascinated with, with cameras. Um wait, wait, wait. You can dispel this myth for him there, right? Mm -hmm. Polaroid camera. You do or do not gotta shake them bad boys. Do yeah, what happens is you shake them and it's the it's the air. The, the, you do this and the air makes it. Really true? Is that is that scientific fact, man? Because I heard somebody say only black people do that. And you know, <laughs> they really gotta do that. No. Yo, I seen professionals do it. They they just fan it so they can see that it's happening, and then they put it down. So the air, the air is what um, uh, dries the uh, whatever you call it, dries the chemical on it, and it and That's it. That's what I always thought too. Yeah, but you know, today it's different. It's not the same coating on the Polaroid that it used to be. I don't think okay. so, because you used to be able before it dried. You used to be able to write on the Polaroid just with a fingernail or something, and it would leave a picture on the um, on the uh, on the uh, Polaroid. On the actual image, you could write yeah. on it. With <laughs> yeah. So I, I had friends who would do it with toothpicks, and they would design. They would, when the image was coming in, they would do like cartoon stuff over the picture, and you had a you had a brand new image. Some of those guys were phenomenal with Polaroid I've stuff. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, man, they were incredible with Polaroid, man. 
Um, Listen, that, <laughs> man, man, we can, <laughs> for real though, black people will take anything and make a art, new art form oh, out of it. Yes, man. man. Yeah, yeah. A whole it, new art form. Yo, you just have to do it. You just do it. Just do it. That's it. That's it. Um, so when I was in the when I was in the seventh grade, no ninth grade, um, there was a photography course, but I couldn't take it until the tenth grade. So when I got in high school, there was a photography course, but I couldn't take it until tenth grade. So um, in the in that class, I learned the oil paint, uh, draw, still stuff, all that stuff, and then the tenth grade came, I got it. I got in the photo class. Took the photo class. We went through a rich neighborhood. We would do like these outdoor shoots and stuff during class. So I went, we went through a rich neighborhood. We taking pictures of houses because the houses were incredible in Delaware. And um, and we come back, we developed the film, the whole nine. So when I was developing the film, Mr. Sharp takes the picture and he goes, develop that again, it's not right. And I was like, okay. So I, I develop it again, same way he looks at it and was like, something's not right about this. Did you use this? So he's asking me questions of how I developed it. And I was like, yeah, I did all of that. He said, it's not right. So um, he comes in, we stay after class. He comes in, he develops the picture. He looks at it. He flips the, the, the negative over, develops it on the opposite side, like reversed. And was like, something's not right about this picture. A week later, he goes, listen, man, I apologize. That picture that you did, it was, it was actually perfect. I've never seen a perfect, uh, a, someone take a perfect image before, but that had to be the per most po perfect image I've ever seen in my teaching. And I was like, well, dang. So wow. so he was trying to find fault with me because yeah. he's never seen it. Yeah. Nobody could do it. And I didn't mean to do it. I just took a picture. I was just like, this is what it looks like. <laughs> so I took the picture and then so I got out, I shot, I shot until I got out of school, I think 10th and 11th grade didn't have it in 12th grade. Got out of school, a friend of mine needed money. He had the same camera that I learned on in class. So he sold, he sold me that picture, he sold me that camera for 50 bucks. That camera broke maybe two years later and this cop named uh, John Washington who worked at the gym was selling his camera was the same camera that I learned in school that I got from this dude. I was like, this is how it's supposed to be. This is written, man. So yeah. I, I continue to take all these photographs, man. And I was going to a lot of hip hop events. As a breaker, I was going into places where I was around, um, you know, a lot of hip hop artists, Zulu anniversaries. I was Zulu, uh, a Zulu, um, Zulu Kings member of Zulu Nation. Uh, I was going to Rocksteady anniversaries. And I was shooting all of these hip hop people, old rappers, Waterbed Kev, um, uh, Busy B, like all the old dudes. So I had all of this footage. And um, and Blaze came, the Vibe came out with a magazine called Blaze, if you remember that. I remember that. And Blaze came to Philly to shoot the company that I was with um, for their first episode. And I was like, I was telling one of the artists, I was like, yo man, you should link up with them because if this is the first issue, they're gonna need visual artists or something. Send your portfolio. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And then I got home, I was in Delaware at the time. I got home and I thought, I might as well send these photographs I got. 
sent them sent them the the portfolio dude two days later they gave me an assignment to go shoot um Jerobi from Tribe Called Quest had a group called um uh ah I can't remember the name of the group but this cat named um Huggy Bear I think was part of the group we became friends for a while I think it was Huggy Bear and so I went down there to shoot that and so they kept giving me these assignments dude just based on a quick portfolio because they were new yeah Everything was new with you had the, the magic eye, man. You was taking perfect pictures, man. <laughs> Yo, how about that? How about and I was literally like shooting a lot of times I was shooting from the hip, just shooting real quick. And um and they came out, they came out perfect. Real quick story too, man. Um one day I went to this 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 um Mickey Benson, which was a, a major uh promoter in the hip hop world in New York City. I think she was also part of Zulu Nation, but I contacted her. We linked, we were supposed to link up at, a, at, a, at this place called Pulsations. Biggie Smalls was performing there. So I get to the, I get to the venue, couldn't get a hold of her. I had that big ass uh, green cell phone, the, the one that was like four inches thick and six yeah. inches high with the plastic antenna. And was she, this the brick? Was this the brick one? Yeah, yeah, the green yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, the horrible service, man. Horrible service. Anyway, so I'm calling, and it's like 35 cent or 50 cent a call or whatever, a minute or something. Minute, so I'm yeah. calling her, and she's not answering. I'm calling her, not answering. I'm like, I can't use this phone. It's just not going to work. So um, I sneak in. The, they wouldn't let me in with the camera, man. They wouldn't let me in. I was supposed to be like just there shooting the stuff. So I go around the back of the building. The limo guy for Biggie lets me in the building. I get in the basement, there's a dude who fell off the speaker and it looked like he's broke up like right there on the floor. And I'm like, uh, what is up with this cat? He's looked like he's dying. So the dude goes, oh my God, I got to, he's panicking. I got to go to the hospital. I got to call the hospital. Please just stay here and watch him. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm standing there watching him. 30 minutes go by, dude don't come back. I'm like, yo, man, I got to leave you here, man. I'm sorry, man. I got to go shoot this show. I, I just left that dude there. I had to bounce. Then I had to go get my brother. So my brother came around. He got in. We're on stage. The whole time all that happened, I never had time to put film in the camera. Oh. I'm on stage, and I, and I realize the guy goes, yo, you can shoot all of this. Just stay away from this side because the performance coming through this way, just stay out of the way. So he's giving me all this this direction. I take the camera out and I look in the bag and the rolls are in the bag. I'm like, oh my God, I gotta get the film. As soon as I open the camera up to put the film in, um, uh, what's it called? What's that What's that song, Biggie song? Um, uh, oh, I, um, oh, one more chance. Uh, one more I, chance. Freak all the honeys. Uh, Southern, That's one more chance, right? You want one more chance, right? Yeah. So the track comes on. I'm like, fuck. And I, I I click the camera, put the film in, close the thing, wind the spool. I look up and Biggie's walking right across from me. Right? So only thing I could do is just pick up and just start shooting, man. Just click, click rhyme, click wind, click wind. I don't know what the hell I got, because I, I didn't have time to look through the look through the lens, look through the, the viewfinder. I'm just clicking and shooting, clicking and shooting. 
man, 20, maybe 20, 30 seconds later, some dude jumps up out the audience and punches Biggie in the face. What? Show's over. Show's over. Fight breakout, pool tables getting thrown from the top floor. Chaos. Chaos. <laughs> I got the hell up out of there, man. I was hanging around the shoot. I got the hell out of there. And and that was my that was th those were lost pictures that nobody ever seen. They're at my mom's house. I never nobody's what ever did, seen those. What pictures. did the shots come out like? Did they look alright? They were they were all over the place, man. They I like got some crowd stuff. I got I got right when the guy jumped on stage to swing at Biggie. I got Biggie reacting. I got some audience stuff. They they were like raggedy shots. It might have been like four good shots out of the whole roll. But but wow. it was like it was just I was just getting started that day, and it would have turned out better. But I had to like look like I was doing the job. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was already late. I wonder whatever happened to the dude who fell off the uh, the speaker. <laughs> oh man, I don't know, man. That was that was a wild night, man. That I couldn't believe. I'm sitting here like, yo, this guy's gonna die. He was hurt. And what made it bad was he was he was drunk before the party even started. That's probably yeah. how he fell off. Cause it was yeah. like four, three, three tier building, man, and it had to be like damn near 100 feet plus um, from where from where the second floor is to the stage. So he shouldn't even have been up there. Um, but anyway, man, I mean to say all that, but that's that's wow. my photography. Um, like, I'll show you some stuff real quick in my house. Um, these are these are paintings that I that I have. They all represent hip hop culture in a in a weird in a weird way. You painted these? Yeah. So give me an explanation of some of them, because I'm always intrigued by abstract art like that. All right, cool. That's what's up, man. Um So th this is this is all about hip hop culture, right? This was a, a hip hop uh exhibit that I did. So this is for they're they're all meant to be ambiguous, right? So this is a representation of the black and brown people who created a particular culture that we call hip hop, right? And this is this is um this is a representation of the static, the static energy, the static information, like newspaper and television that carried all of that information around the world from that was created by the black and brown people in the hood in the ghetto, and. This is a representation of the money that drove all of that stuff. Um, at, that the, the, it, it monetized the culture itself. So yeah. this was what everybody was after, after they understood that they could make money off of the, the culture. And this was representation of not only the burning of, of the, 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 the Bronx, but um, everything that was uh, a representation of what someone had worked for to get to that that part in hip hop culture where they could make money was was um, just went up in flames. So that's like a, a, a obvious fire kind of thing. And this is the egos, the black and blue egos that went along with all of that uh, stuff when the rug was pulled out from under them at that particular time, man. Wow. And over here is a, this photograph is 20 years old. This was one of the first images that I took in this project. It's a dancer, a 35 millimeter film in 1998. 
it's just two dancers um, just dancing. I did a series of these um, in uh, 20 years ago, and uh, they were part of the the movement exhibit. Man, that is amazing. Thank you, man. That is truly amazing. I love the explanation behind it, man. Listen, man, I, I'm I, I can't wait for the day when it could be like. I'm coming to your concert, which is also an art exhibit, which is also you're gonna yeah. drop the mic and do some comedy, and just also you're gonna have some, some take some pictures with everybody. I want all of that. Like you should be like the new Lin Manuel Miranda, man. Why can't we put you know, all that together, man? It, yeah, it's just, it's all about it's all about supporting who you know, man. And and um and I think it's just not. I, and to be to be fair, on a positive note. It's not my time yet, right? Yeah. To be in in a, in a negative space, it's because no one understood what I was trying to do with the breaking form. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if you you when people only saw breaking as a street form or very limited on stage, but I, I create you know a whole hour length production with just breaking man and the narrative and people were afraid to touch it for a while. What do you think about get it? What do you think about how those street styles are handled in in the pop culture area now? Like in shows like So You Think You Can Dance and all of that. How, what do you think about, you know, I know that they try to bring it in and respect it. Yeah. What do you think about how they handle that? It's a, it's a I think it's just novelty right now. It's the hottest thing. You know, if you look at you look at all of this stuff, it has turned into a marketplace. It's about the most likes, sell the most product, make the most money. How can we e expose something to get closer to capitalism or, or growing our business, growing our audience? Yeah. You know what I mean? So they're not really interested in the integrity of the form. Um, I don't feel that way anyway. And they'll bring in someone who, who is their representation of that but that's only going to last for so long, man. You know what I mean? It, it's it, it's just not interesting. As, as soon as people start getting serious about it, it's out the window, dude. I agree. All right, man. So listen, we could probably go for like another three hours, man. Look, that's, that's all the layers that I would love to get into. Um, I really want right now for you to just tell everybody how they can find out more about you. You know, okay. like the, your music you have coming out, uh, your career overall. You know, I mean, you seem like somebody people should do school reports on, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so find, let, let, let us know. And I'll, I'll also um, put the graphics up so they can see a graphic okay. presentation of it. But let okay. us know what we can get in contact with you and what you got coming out. All right. I'll start by saying um, you can catch me and anything that I'm connected to at RafaelZavier.org. Um, my, my organization is there, a nonprofit organization that gives platform to artists that want to you know, learn new things about moving their craft forward. Um, some of my stage performances are connected there. Some of the things that I've done for the community are there also. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram. My music is on Instagram at the Zav Official. It's on Bandcamp at the Zav Bandcamp. It's on YouTube under Zav Official or Zav 2020. That's XAV. And um, and YouTube, I'm Rafael Xavier. 
That's what's up, man. That's it. So real, real quick, yeah, man. This is the this is the the free vinyl. If you hit me up, I'll get, I'll send you a copy of the free vinyl. Or you can get it in local stores. If I'm uh, my man, Forrest is, is Gump is in Ohio, so it's gonna be out there in stores. Um, the album is called Black Duke. It will be a digital release um, in October, and then following that, it will be um, uh, pre-order and and a limited pressing of the vinyl. On the album, it's, um, who is it? We got Knott's, Lars Professor. Uh, Laura Finesse did some production with his production crew called The Boss Man, Omar Lightfoot, AG, um, Ed OG. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a great project, man. So please keep in touch, man. I mean, whatever you Absolutely. need. Um, anything you want to know, uh, just if you want to, you know, work together on something, let me know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm down. We definitely need to do that link, man. I, I love that you shouted out all of those DITC dudes, man. I'm a big digging in the crates band from way back, man. Yeah, I love good. Andre yeah. the Giant, man, and that's dope that you got to join with him. Yeah. And uh, I know you brought up Forrest Gump, man. Forrest Get Him Gump is a cool dude, man. So shout out to Forrest Get Him Gump, Yeah, no man. doubt. My man. My man. No doubt, man. So Rafael Xavier, man, I truly appreciate you, man. We but, definitely need to do that link, man, because I got some music coming out, man. I'm going to send it to cool. you. Yeah, yeah, I want to hear, man. I want to see what you got, man. Appreciate you, bro. Good on. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining me for another episode of The Big Bro Show. I love y'all. I love y'all. I love y'all. Peace. <laughs>